0: Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today we're going to the world of well-being. I've got guest with me, Leanne Spencer. Leanne, hello and welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Kevin. Uh, Hello to the audience.
0: Yeah, tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, where to start?
1: Well, at at high level, I'm an expert in corporate well-being. I'm a podcaster as well. Always nice to be this side of the mic. I'm also an author of three books. I'm a Bear Grylls survival instructor, just to throw a different slant on things. Haven't done any of his extreme stuff, both in terms of running up and down mountains or rapid rappelling or anything like that. And I haven't slept in a dead animal, which isn't a great look for a vegetarian. And I haven't drunk anything unsavoury. But other than that, I've done quite a lot of his stuff and learned quite a few of his survival techniques. So you weren't expecting that, I can tell from your face. I was face. not <laughs> expecting
0: that. That sounds like a podcast itself. So, so yeah. even all the things that you excluded from that list, is there anything left?
1: <laughs> plenty, plenty. But that, that would dominate the entire episode. But you know what? There, there is an interesting sort of crossover of well-being and survival. So, for example, I was on stage last week at a very large, well, a large conference for a conglomerate. And we, I was trying to sort of convey the look after yourself first, which has become quite cliched, the whole oxygen mask first yeah. idea. And there's um, a shortened way of remembering the, the priorities of survival, which are protection, rescue, water, food, in yeah. that order. So bear teaches us to remember protection P, rescue R, W, water. So please remember what's first is the way you'd remember them. So I said to this audience, you know, please remember what's first for you, you know, what non-negotiable do you need to, to absolutely make sure happens first, if not first thing in the day, first, before you then try be of use to others. And I think for any audience, that can be quite a valuable tip. So there, you see what I mean? There's a lot of crossover in, in the Bear grills problem solving out in nature and bringing that into the boardroom, the meeting room and so on.
0: That is really interesting. We, got a a finance leader community that are having to give an awful lot of themselves to Mm. to their team, to their wider leadership team, to their board, and so on. So so tell me a little bit more about how putting yourself first plays out into that.
1: I think very generally speaking, most of us are not that good at prioritising wellbeing. I think that's starting to change, but we often get, and also society and technology and a lot of our tools designed to help us are really, really good at sucking us in to make, making sure that they get addressed first. So email, for example, other types of tech with a big flashing red alerts, you know, come and pay attention to this, pay attention to this. And before we know it, it might be mid-morning and we've had that coffee, but we didn't have that quick walk we were going to have. And we haven't done that meditation we were planning. Or that workout, at the end of the day, that's got pushed out. So by, by that sort of, please remember what's first, or having, put another way, having one, two, maximum, three daily non-negotiables, and just being really aware of what they are, and then prioritizing them, schedule, scheduling them in as well, making sure they're in the calendar. But above anything else, doing them for a little bit, so maybe setting a 10-day habit that you're going to go for a brisk 10-minute walk every morning for the next 10 days and then think about how you know how, how much more energized you felt or how much more headspace you had you in the day or how much clarity of thought you had because you did something for you which always feels good but something for you that also has a physiological benefit which getting out and doing a brisk walk does we know it improves mood and energy or meditation does you know, it kind of sets the emotional soundtrack for the day so as they're just a handful of examples about how knowing what they are and being really rooted to the benefit, you know, enables you to make them consistent, can have a significant impact, particularly for your audience. So we're looking at numbers a lot with fairly high consequences. You know, you want that clarity of thought, that good mood, that good energy, that high level of motivation.
0: Now that really does ring true. I mean, one one thing that I do quite religiously is before I sit down to start work in the morning and probably immediately after I've finished work, is take the dogs out. And it's, yes. it's something that when you're working from home all the time, gives you, gives you that break between sort of getting up in the morning and the, the routine and start work, and it gives you the break at the end of the day that finishes work. And, yeah, it really does get you out of the house. It really does brighten you up and put you in a better place.
1: Yeah. and what I call slivers of recovery sliver being a perhaps a slightly unusual word to use but what I'm trying to convey is that it's a sliver of your day a sliver of your overall energy a sliver of your overall bandwidth that can have quite a significant return so a sliver. so for example if um, I'm on a zoom call and the person I'm speaking to is a couple of minutes late coming into the room I'll just let my eye wander over onto what currently teeming rain but The hedges there moving in the breeze, or over there, Dulwich Woods, where I take my dog in the mornings. And I just let my mind wander. And then when I see that person in the waiting room, I come back, let them in, conduct business. That would be a sliver of recovery. It could also be, so after a very big week at the weekend, I made sure I had time for a hike in nature. So that's not a sliver, that was a few hours. I had a sauna, I spent some time sitting in front of the chimney or in the garden. There's levels of recovery. But I think that's one of the things that's the real missing piece in the way that, that we sort of manage ourselves, manage our well-being, is that most people, your audience and, and everybody, tend to be pretty good at performing and getting things done. And in fact, we, we sort of think we've got to be in that high-level mode all year round. And I think that's one of the reasons, exacerbated by the last two years, why a lot of people are feeling the effects of chronic stress and some are burning out is because we're in that high level, that, that high pace all the time, there isn't what I call cadence to the way that we do things. A part of that cadence, which we can, we can talk through if you like, is looking ahead. Another part is preparing. The part that everyone's good at, but I have got some caveats, is the perform phase, but then recover. Yeah. And it's derived from an athlete. On, But, but
0: yeah, go ahead. Now, that, that's interesting that you mentioned cadence because I, I know you've got an, a new book just out.
1: I which is actually yeah. called cadence. So I think it we is. should
0: explore this in a little bit more, Anne. So, <laughs> Tell me some more about cadence.
1: Okay, so it came about from when I left the city back in 2012 because I was burnt out, chronically abusing alcohol, just fallen out of love with life, but particularly what I was doing. And I, I took some time to rest and recover. And one of the things that I did was go to my local boxing gym called Miguel's in Loughborough Junction, classic boxing gym under the arches, Heaving with sort of energy and testosterone and dripping with sweat. Fabulous place. I'm sold it particularly well, but it's a very friendly, fun gym. While I was in there, I was watching some of the athletes, these men and women, who were training twice a day, six days a week, but yet they seemed to be able to manage their energy well. They weren't burning out. So I thought I was thinking about that. Uh, I've also always been a tennis fan. Obviously, today time of recording is the start of Wimbledon. So I was thinking about tennis players, and there are a couple of exceptions, but most they don't tend to burn out, but the tennis circuit is very punishing. It's an all year round thing. Absolutely. So we think about Serena Williams, who's trying to, to win her 24th Grand Slam kicking off today. Even at her very elite level, she won't be, if you like, Wimbledon fit all year round. She'll look ahead to the tournament she wants to perform in. She'll then prepare by doubling down on her sleep, mental health, energy, nutrition, hydration, and so on. She'll then perform at that tournament and get as deep into it as she can, but then she recovers. So that I thought, okay, that's interesting. We could, as business athletes or busy professionals, we could probably learn a thing or two from that methodology. So the question I would ask your audience is, let's predict what's coming up. When are your Wimbledons? When are the big events coming up for you in your business life and your personal life? So business life could be taking on a CFO role. It could be expanding your team. In your uh, personal life, it might be welcoming a new baby into the family, or having a child move schools, pretty big events for the family or for you as an individual. As part of the prepare phase, could you get a little bit more sleep? Could you work on managing your nervous system so that you're as relaxed as you can be going into that event? Are you doing things that keep you energized throughout the day? You know, We talked about some of those at the beginning. And so it's about building your bulletproof, if you like. And the perform phase is about respecting your red flags, which is that I I don't get on any stage or go on anybody's podcast to tell people how to perform. Everybody knows how to get a job done. We don't need instruction on that. But respecting your red flags is about making sure you're not going too fast, too hard in that particular phase of the methodology. And then the last bit is about recover, because this idea of backing off beats burnout, slivers of recovery that when done consistently help to manage your nervous system and keep burnout at bay. So that's the methodology. Starts with when you're Wimbledon's, then prepare, then perform, and then recover. And if you think about predict, for those of you who are listening, not watching, I'm now moving my hand up slightly to prepare, moving my hand up slightly again to perform, and then moving my hand down to the recover phase. And that is what I call cadence.
0: Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Now, the prepare piece, Leanne. Yeah. My experience of late is particularly having been involved for the last couple of years in a startup that always seems something big that needs to get done. Once something big is followed by the next something big is followed by the next something big. Mm. There haven't really been those, those peaks to prepare for because everything seems to be a peak. Yeah. Do you think that's a fairly common observation across people's jobs? personal lives
1: yes i think it is and i've got another event next monday and they brief said exactly that i don't know if we have wimbledon it's wimbledon all year round so yeah i have heard that so i think it's part of the building your bulletproof phase or to take it as a standalone there are little things that we can work on that are generally very manageable for example 10 minutes uh, extra sleep by getting to bed 20 minutes earlier Or as another example, honoring the golden hour, which is the hour before your bedtime, no phones, no television, no news. It's all about relaxing the nervous system, getting ready for bed. Because if the nervous system is primed in what we call the parasympathetic dominant side, we will get a deeper, more restorative sleep. It may be about building better habits in terms of movement or natural light exposure or eating a little better. But All of those things, and it it can be really small things, and maybe just starting with one at a time, will generally make us a little bit more resilient to the sort of the onslaught of work. Now, I don't think that's ultimately sustainable to be at that sort of on phase all the time. I think we do still need those slivers of recovery. But if it's a particularly intense period of growth, or such as a startup, anything you can do to build your bulletproof will stand you in better stead.
0: Right, right. That makes a lot of sense thinking about that that golden hour and i'm probably one of the world's worst as far as that golden hour goes Thanks. because you know, i'll i'll be looking at things on an ipad and one of the problems i developed in a in a career that seemed to be almost away working on client side doing consulting project was that I tended to make everything electronic so you know, a fiction book ends up on a kindle ends up on the That'd ipad be, version of the kindle um. app All the magazines that I subscribe to, I don't buy paper copies. They arrive on iPad. So it's fairly normal in an evening that I've probably got one device or other in front of me. And I'm glancing through a magazine at the same time as the television's on across the room that my other half's watching. So how would you approach getting into that golden hour if you're that sort of person?
1: Yeah. Well, firstly, congratulations on reducing your, uh, you know, the amount of trees that, that have been chopped down in your name. That is great. I definitely would encourage that. There was something called blue light blocking glasses, which you could wear. Now, these have been around for over a decade. It's not new technology. They've been worn in the gaming industry for a long time. And blue light blocking glasses literally do that. So, so the issue with looking at devices and televisions and sitting under bright lights at night is that they contain a frequency of light called blue light. So it's not a color, it's a frequency. And right. during the day, it's no problem at all. It comes out from the sun, in fact. It's in the atmosphere. But at night, when we want to start preparing for sleep, it becomes an issue because it suppresses the production of melatonin, which is secreted by the pineal gland in the brain. So when the sun goes down, if we go back to ancestral times, the sun would go down. So that, in effect, the absence of blue light tells Our ancestors' brains start producing melatonin. They'd light a fire, but it doesn't have blue light in, so no problem. And then they go to bed. But because we sit under lights and watch TVs and all this stuff, we are getting the signal constantly, don't go to sleep, don't go to sleep. It's still daytime. Something like blue light blocking glasses, which you wouldn't necessarily want to wear on a date. You've mentioned another half in another room, so that won't be an issue for you. They are glasses that have, (laughs) well, not for now. We'll hope it stays that way yellow lenses you can get red lenses which are really funky and they block out between 50 and 70 percent of the blue light that you're looking at so that's one thing you can do another is simply to turn down the lights in the room Um, and by the way to link that back if you're wearing blue light blocking glasses it doesn't matter if you're reading something on an ipad or a kindle if it's backlit so that that's that point but in general if you've got dimmer switches in the house use them dim the light so in the morning You want to mimic a sunrise. And in the evening, you want to mimic a sunset. So the lights get dimmer as the evening goes on. Little lamps as opposed to big overhead lights, that helps as well. Apple has a night shift setting, which automatically reduces the frequency of blue light from the phone. Android has the same. A piece of software called Flux, which is F.Lux. And that is for Mac, PC, or laptop. And that will automatically. Reduce the frequency of light in your machine as well, depending on what time zone you're in. So there's, it's well established um, amongst you know, big players like Apple, this is an issue. So uh, there's a number of things that you can do in that golden hour and leading up to it. But still, you know, don't go back to paper copies. You can still read those electronic devices. The only thing I'd say about that is if you're on an iPad, you might also see your emails coming in yes. or your WhatsApps coming in. So a little bit of discipline around turning those onto mute. Or even using software that just shuts them down until seven in the morning or something like that. But it's all optional for people. And I would suggest baby steps as
0: well. I must admit that one of the things that I've done on my Mac is I've turned off nearly all of the notifications. The one in particular that was annoying me was we use Slack in the business as opposed to email for a lot of things. And I was finding a, a Slack message would come through. In the middle of doing some deep work, you'd get distracted, and you'd end up in a long conversation of Slack messages going backwards and forwards. So one thing that has very definitely been turned off on, on my MacBook is Slack. I'd go in there from time to time during the day and see if there's anything that needs to be dealt with. But it really is a big distraction. And I think I've, I've learned over time that generally if something comes up when you're installing it, would you like so so to send you notifications? Well, the first thing is, well, if I say, if I say, no, I'm missing out on something, I'm now coming to the conclusion, hmm. the standard answer is, no, I do not want you to send me any notifications. Notifications yeah, are bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'm, I automatically click no to that as well. And I'm of the mindset that if you think you might miss it, delete it or turn it off. And if you do, you switch it back on. Most times you just won't. You won't be missing anything, but the FOMO thing is—is is we're up against a, an army of engineers over in Silicon Valley who work for these social media companies and these other tech companies that want you in the app. So yes. they, you know, the, the Pantone color of notifications gets examined and re-examined and they want you in the app, interacting, looking at adverts, selling your eyeballs, um, as it were. So it's really tricky to have the discipline to put that stuff back where it belongs. But, you know, congratulations, you've done it with Slack.
0: And that's, that is number one thing to to remember that, that all of the social media channels, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, if you use it, I think I'm too old for Hmm. TikTok, but uh, I'm not a TikToker either. They're all designed to be addictive. Tell me about these slithers of recovery. Tell me some more about that. How How does that work, Leanne?
1: Simple little things that's done every day or some of the day, or let me give you an example of slivers in action, but also a bigger recovery component. So I mentioned last week, I was at a, a large conference. So I was also obviously, well, not obviously, last week, there were train strikes, which if you're listening to this recently, you'll remember. So I got a driver to take me to my first gig in London. And then we were going up Taunton Towers where this big conference was being held. And that was Wednesday and he was coming back Friday to, to pick me up. It's quite decadent having a driver. I normally get the train, but I wasn't going to trust the train. And I proved to be right on that front. So knowing, you know, at the beginning of last week, I predicted what was coming up. Well, I already knew because I know my diary a week in advance. So I knew Wednesday I'm on a road trip. So Monday, Tuesday, I doubled down a little bit more on sleep. So I made sure I had a sleep window of nine hours to try and get eight hours something sleep. And I'll happily settle for seven and a half. So I, I doubled down on that. We didn't do anything socially Monday, Tuesday, which is not unusual, but I made sure that I had nothing. I, I don't mind what happens in the day, but I like my evenings to be quiet, routine and at home. I also did more exercise than I would normally do. So I felt a little bit physically tired on Wednesday morning. And you might think, well, that's odd. You've got two big days, but I've got two big days, largely sitting in a car and sitting in a conference now as it goes Alton Towers is a massive resort and I ended up doing twelve and a half thousand steps but that's another matter so I was physically tired that was part of the predict and prepare phase perform was going to those two gigs and doing a great job knocking out the part for them and then recover was that when I got in Friday that kick-started a 24-hour recovery period now not to lose anyone it doesn't have to be 24 hours slivers suggest it's much smaller than that But this was, I knew I'd have an intense three days. So I'd already planned to take the dog out to Down and Kent, which is a 30-minute drive on a Saturday morning, so we could do a country walk. No headphones, which I would normally take for podcasts, just being out in nature and relaxing, literally decompressing, spending time with her. Got back, had a nice meal. I had a sauna in the garden, had a sauna. Then I sat in front of the chimney for a couple of hours, just chilled out. And I had a nap when I got in as well. So quite a lot of things that individually would be quite relaxing. It was a real day of recovery. Sunday had some social engagements, had a few things to do. So it was kind of back at it by Sunday standards. So that I I, I woke up this morning feeling like I'd kind of recovered from last week. Good to go again. So that's an example of recovery or the, the methodology in a sort of broad sense. But the slivers of recovery that I was doing, for example, at the conference were getting a little bit of quiet time every now and again. I mean, it's very hard at Alton Towers. I don't know if you've been. I went for a walk and uh, in amongst a group of trees and one of them started singing, you've got a friend in me. They've got speakers even in the trees (laughs) playing music. So uh, you've got a friend in me. And I was like, (laughs) it's a bit bonkers there. But, you know, a little, little, little bit of a walk. I did my meditation every morning in my room before I set out not the most exciting place to meditate, but you've got your eyes closed. I'm just preparing myself. That's a sliver of recovery. Slivers of recovery is just small things that can have quite a significant improvement on your physiology. Breath work is an example that anybody could do. If they're alive, they're breathing. Simply breathing, box breathing is, is breathing in as you go one side of the box, holding the ex-inhalation as you go across the top of the box, exhaling as you go down the side of the box and then holding that exhalation to make a square. So a little bit of box breathing will reduce your resting heart rate, reduce your blood pressure, can make you feel less stressed. That might take two minutes. That's a sliver of recovery. Before you go on stage, you could do that. Or in the case of your audience, it's more likely that before a big meeting, before a review, before embarking on a day of delivering numbers, or year-end, tax year, whatever the sort of significant event is, starting the day by preparing your body with that little sliver of recovery could make quite a significant difference. Mm. Or finishing the day, finishing an intense day with something like that, to decompress before you open the door, go into the kitchen or the room or the hallway to leave the office and pick up on your personal life
0: for the evening. Yeah. So sitting down and having a gin and tonic decompressing. (laughs)
1: Well. I mean, in a sense, yes, it is. I mean, alcohol actually is a depressant. Uh, I, und- I know you're being glib. I'm teetotal, so I- I- I'm torn over that as to whether I should advocate a gin and tonic. But yeah, it is part of a relaxation process. It doesn't actually do that to the body, but it does help people sometimes because you're sitting and you're being social as you do those two things. And there is a lot of value in that.
0: Yes. Yeah. I th- Personally, I think that's what it's all about. It is about sitting and being social and just not looking at the screen and, and unwinding yeah. a bit. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. And quite frequently during the, well, can't have one on a school night is the rule, but there, there is a bottle of uh, alcohol-free gin in the cupboard. Right. And a few alcohol-free beers in the fridge as well. So I think it, it's more the act of going through doing it than having the alcohol. mm.
1: And I mean, it's per se, in the right setting, in the right quantities and all the other stuff is not actually a bad thing. There is a little bit of science kicking around about red wine and small amounts of beer and a positive effect on cholesterol. If you have a certain genetic predisposition, there are a group of countries, Loma Linda is one, uh, Sardinia, that are called Blue Zones. And they have the highest proportion of septic, uh, people who are 100, I forget the exact term for it right now. And um, one of the things is that they drink a very small amount of alcohol, but it's always in a social setting. And it might be alcohol where they press the grapes with their own feet as well. These are people that worked all their lives in a very active fashion. So they may have been shepherds or, or working the land or animal husbandry or something. They are very social. They're very connected to their family, great networks. And they get together very frequently to drink a small amount of a very, very clean alcohol, as it were, and connect with each other. So it very much is context is everything, isn't it? it um, is. And no more so than
0: alcohol. Yeah. So, Leanne, that's we've talked about the overall message of cadence, which is about keeping that rhythm going, keeping that cycle going.
1: So the first one was called Rise and Shine, Recover from Burnout and Get Back to Your Best. It's a, a much weightier book than, um, than Cadence. And that one digs, digs a lot deeper into tips, but also into the science behind well-being, It's uh, the background of burnout in the city and, and so on. The one after that is called Remove the Guesswork, and that's a little bit more about how to personalize your health, fitness, and nutrition. And it explores things like DNA testing, gut testing, wearable technology, and so on. I'd say Cadence is probably the one I'm most proud of. It was written to go along with my keynote, but it's a fantastic standalone book. But it was also by far and away the easiest one to write. And I think sometimes simplicity and brevity trump, you know, in-depth research and long explanations. Yeah, Very often people do uh, that. That is the one that.
0: thing that I, I really like about Cadence. And it is, it's a thin book. I think before we started recording, you described it yourself as a pamphlet.
1: Oh, well. Uh, yes, I mean, the publisher would have a fit. But in essence, compared to a big weighty tome, it absolutely is. It's got beautiful illustrations, not done by me. It just gets to the point, And it's aimed at busy professionals who haven't got time necessarily to read long books. Or they will, but it'll sit on a pile. And this one is, yeah, I had some feedback from last week where everyone got a copy of the book to say they'd read it in an evening and you know, very practical and all the rest of it. So yes, it's not a big book.
0: I actually went on a a webinar last week that was was all about writing a business book. It was a challenge to write a book in seven days. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the interesting little little factual takeaways I got from that is that actually only 9% of readers ever get past chapter one. Their emphasis was very much on getting all of your best content into the first chapter. Mm. That holds true in a any sort of business book, you want to pick it up. You want to learn about the stuff that's in there fairly quickly. So I, yeah. I really don't think thick, meaty tones is right for business books. No. You really do want something that you can digest, as you say, in an evening.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think if you want those yeah. ideas to be read and absorbed. But I think it was Mark Twain, but the quote is is appropriated to all sorts of people, which is that I wrote a long letter because I didn't have time to add a short one, I think is the quote. It's much harder to write something in briefly and pithily and to the point than it is to prevaricate and walk around the topic and give everyone the ins and outs. Much harder to make your point. And same in the speaking world, a 15-minute keynote slot would be way more difficult than a 40-minute one. Yes. It's what do you put in? How do you get it across? And often people think they pay less for shorter content, but in anything, it's, it's the opposite. Mm. So yeah, getting to the point, I think, is really important. And I think it, it shows respect to your reader. Who doesn't have a lot of time? And here I am trying to tell them how to prioritize their well-being and effect, beat burnout and have more fun in life. But you've got to give me two weeks of your time, devoted and dedicated to the reading of my, of my manual. Indeed. And you know, I'm, I'm showing respect for the reader by saying, give me about two hours, and it can be with a gin and tonic if it if it must be.
0: Or preferably on a on a balcony or a patio in somewhere nice and warm where you you are yep. unwinding properly. Yeah, don't you yep. me last week. It's a real shame to be back at work this week and back in the UK weather. But hey, home. Mm. Leanne, we've talked about being brief and not taking up too much of our audience's time. I'm conscious that we've actually been talking now for the best part of 40 minutes. and Wow. Yeah, I suppose really we, we ought to respect our listeners' time. And, and We should. And wind up. That has been absolutely fascinating. Remind me the full name of that book again?
1: It is called Cadence, The Secret to Beating Burnout and Performing in Life and Work.
0: And I think that is going to be a fantastic read. I've read the synopsis, but I haven't read the whole thing yet myself. I'm looking forward to actually getting a hold of a copy and going through it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, Leanne, thank you very much for being this week's guest
1: on The Grow CFO Show. Pleasure, Kevin. Thank you for the questions. Thank you to the audience for listening as well.